everybody. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And today, all the way from, I believe, Phoenix. Is that right, Adam? That is correct. Beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm heading down your neck of the woods in a week and a half. At the time that we're recording this, I'm still freezing my buns off here in Canada. So definitely looking forward to that. Anyhow, Adam is a very well-established real estate investor. He's also a bigwig in Tower Capital, right, which is a commercial real estate structured finance firm. He's been in the real estate game for quite a few years. He's also a proud father and husband. So Adam, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate it. All right. Well, let's start back at the beginning. How did you get in the whole crazy world of real estate investing in the first place, Adam? Uh, sure. You know, I just kind of fell into it. Started in commercial real estate straight out of college. I was an office leasing guy, you know, rode the wave in the early 2000s, rode the crash. And then post-recession, I got onto the finance side of the business. I was doing commercial financing on behalf of a company called Johnson Capital, which is one of the largest independent commercial mortgage banking companies in the country. They were acquired by a firm named Walker and Dunlap, a publicly traded firm that specializes in Fannie, Freddie and HUD financing for multifamily properties. And they were acquired and I decided to jump ship and start my own finance company where we assist investors large and small with their commercial real estate financing needs, whether it's apartments, hotels, office retail. We hit most asset classes and finance a lot of different types of deals, whether it's ground up, you know, stabilized, existing, transitional, what have you. All right. Very good. Now, how about yourself, Percy? Adam, do you, do you actively invest yourself? Do you have a portfolio? I do. I do. You know, and I try to stay pretty diversified, you know, with my investments. You know, I have a portfolio of just single family rentals that I have on my own. And then also, you know, as part of my business, I see a lot of deals. So I invest as a limited partner with a lot of my clients who are really just stellar sponsors, owners, operators that I can invest in as a passive investment. You know, typically these are a lot of value add multifamily properties, some hotels where I'll get some good return. And, you know, my whole thing is, you know, doing my day-to-day -day business where I make my fee income and then, you know, using that to then go invest in, you know, various different opportunities. So again, I mean, I think it's really important for people to be diversified, whether they're investing in, you know, real estate, you know, you want to maybe be in some different geographies, you want to be in some different asset classes, but not only that, you know, not have all your money in, you know, real estate and kind of spread it out between different things as well. So I think that that's an important strategy. All right. Very cool. So Adam, this is, I think this is a great opportunity and I hope you don't mind if we go off on a bit of a tangent here, but I'd like to find out from your point of view as a guy who's financing deals, what are some of the biggest mistakes people making when they're coming to you looking for financing? Because I'll just give you a little bit of background. A lot of the people that, that watch or listen to this podcast our mom and pop real estate investors, some of them are starting to kind of gain some traction, starting to get into bigger deals. And I want to help them to avoid making dumb mistakes when it comes into, let's say, transitioning into doing a 
development deal or something like that, and they really don't have much experience in that. Where do you see people screwing up when they're coming to you looking for financing the most? Sure. Well, I think it's important for people to understand what the lenders are looking for as far as the sponsor, the borrower goes, and then you know how they're looking at the deal and how they're underwriting the property to come up with the loan terms. So, you know, a typical rule of thumb is that a lender wants to see a borrower have a net worth at least equal to the loan amount. And they typically want them to have post-close liquidity. So that's cash in the bank after your down payment, typically of, you know, 10 to 20% of the loan amount. They never want the buyer to be putting every last penny that they have into the property as a down payment. So that's the reason for, you know, the lenders requiring some post-close liquidity. So, you know, sometimes someone will come to me and they're looking to buy a $5 million property and they want to, you know, $4 million loan, but their net worth is only $2 million. You know, in that case, they're not going to qualify for that type of financing. They either need to be looking for a smaller deal or they need to be bringing in a partner that could be a co-sponsor with them that maybe can add, you know, their balance sheet and, you know, provide that additional strength. All right. So let's, I'm a simple kind of guy, Adam. So let's make this drop dead easy. I like that $5 million deal example. So let's say I'm Joe Investor. I'm all excited. I've got this either apartment building I want to buy or I want to build. It's going to cost 5 million bucks. I've managed to come up with a million dollars for a down payment. I'm looking to you for 4 million bucks. So what you're looking for is you're looking that I'm going to have at least a net worth of $4 million. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Okay. Either myself and or with my investor partners. Is that correct? Exactly. So whoever is signing on the loan documents, their combined net worth and liquidity will be taken into account. Perfect. And then in addition to that, as far as liquidity goes, you want to make sure if I'm trying to borrow, if I'm putting in a million bucks, that I've got another, what was it? One or two million in the bank. So if you're trying to borrow $4 million, they're going to want to see that you have roughly $400,000 in the bank after you close. Okay. So I put my million bucks in, I need to have at least another $400,000 sitting in the bank for a contingency fund for some good go wrong kind of fund in addition to the the net worth of the $4 million, correct? Exactly. And you know, that 10%, it's not going to be a hard and fast rule with all lenders. Depending on the situation, some lenders may be okay with 5% of the loan amount. Some lenders may say, we want you to have 12 months of loan payments, which is, you know, typical of like a Fannie or Freddie loan for an apartment property. So there's going to be some variation, but regardless the buyer must be prepared to have, you know, some post-close liquidity. That doesn't mean that there's going to be any covenants that you have to keep that liquidity. They just want to know, they just want to see it that when you close, it's there. All right. Oh, that's really good to know. So, I mean, you've been, you've been doing this for years and years now. Is that pretty standard across the industry? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what would you suggest for Joe investor? He's just, he's, he's, Going from small deals, like you've got experience with doing single family homes, let's say it's an investor that's 
moving from single family homes into small apartment buildings. Yep. What's kind of the minimum size or the minimum dollar transaction you guys are looking for in order for a deal to be worthwhile for you? Sure. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll do a loan as low as a million dollars. And that's really going to be the limit for the small balance, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac as well. So that's kind of where we, we set our bar. Most commercial bankers, brokers, that's typically going to be the minimum. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So what other kind of mistakes do you see relatively new commercial investors making when they're trying to get financing from you guys? Sure. So another mistake that I see people make is, as I had mentioned previously, not understanding how the lenders underwrite the properties. So what do you mean by that exactly? So if you're going and you're buying an apartment building, for instance, and you're looking to get a loan against the property, there's a couple of parameters that the lenders are going to look at that will limit the amount of loan dollars that you can obtain. One of those is going to be loan to value. So say they're not going to lend more than 75 or 80% of the value of the property. Right. Another metric is debt service coverage ratio, which measures basically how much cushion there is in the cash flow that's being produced by the property over and above what your debt service payment, what your mortgage payment is on the property. So if you have a mortgage payment of $100,000 a year on the property, they want to see, you know, typically it's going to be a 1.25 minimum debt service coverage ratio. So they want to see that the property is producing 125% or $125,000 per year to give you some cushion over and above what the debt service payment is. So that can be a limiting factor on the loan dollars. If the in-place cash flows for the property don't support, you know, a $4 million loan, then, you know, your proceeds are going to be limited and then the deal might not make sense. So then you're looking at, okay, well, you know, I can't get the amount of loan dollars at this price. You know, maybe I need to go back and ask for a price reduction, or maybe if I'm planning on doing some work to the property, maybe this is more of a value add and I'm going to go and I'm going to freshen up the paint and change out the flooring and all the units and do some value add things. Maybe I want to be looking at more of like a bridge loan, which won't put as much emphasis on what the in-place cash flows are. They'll put more emphasis on what your stabilized projected cash flow is when you're done with your renovations. So that's another strategy to use. So it's really what we do is we look at, we get an understanding of, you know, what are the goals and objectives of the borrower? What is the asset? You know, what type of asset is it? Where is it located? How is it performing? And we triangulate that with the best source of capital. And, you know, within the best source of capital, you know, is it the source of capital, a bank? Is it a credit union? Is it, you know, an agency like Fannie and Freddie, as I mentioned before? Is it a bridge lending debt fund? You know, within that source, who is going to be the best lender and who's going to give the best term? So it's really, you know, understanding the full picture and then really narrowing it down to the best strategy and the best loan terms that are going to help the buyer effectuate their business plan. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So do you see, I imagine you see situations where it's kind of a combination or a blending of a few different sources of funding, especially if somebody's buying the property and then making improvements on it. Do you see some sort of a combination at times? 
Well, there are lenders that can offer kind of a seamless, you know, one-stop shop where they can provide the bridge loan. They're also, you know, an agency lender or they have, you know, balance sheet products that, you know, that could be used once the property is renovated or stabilized. Some banks will structure, you know, what we call a mini perm with some interest only at the front end. So maybe it's a five-year loan where your first two or three years are at interest only. So that provides the borrower with additional cash flow that they can use to then reinvest into the property and fix up the property. And then, you know, in say year four and five, you know, it will go amortizing based on say a 30 year amortization schedule. So that's one strategy. When we're doing larger, more complex ground up developments, we might layer in multiple different sources of capital. And that's what we call the capital stack. So you have in the capital stack at the bottom, you have debt. And at the top, you have equity. Equity is the amount of money that the buyer is putting in themselves. The debt is obviously, you know, the loan. That debt can be broken up into, you know, a first position lien, a second position lien so that they can, you know, lever up their loan dollars. Instead of debt, we could use equity structured as preferred equity and different types of equity. So for instance, on one project that we recently financed that was about a $53 million total project cost is 212 unit ground up multifamily deal here in Phoenix. We brought in a very low LTV, low interest rate bank that provided funding for 60% of the total project cost. Um, Then we brought in a preferred equity piece that was basically structured as sort of similar to debt, except there's no additional lien on the property behind the senior lender. So we're getting into a little more complex structuring here, but so you had the first position debt, you had the second position preferred equity, which effectively brought the borrower's proceeds up to about 80% LTV, LTC. And then they actually had an additional equity, you know, joint venture equity partner that was able to bring in their balance sheet so that our sponsor could qualify for this size of a transaction. So there's a deal that was structured with, you know, three different types of capital in addition to, you know, the sponsor's own funds. That's awesome. So, I mean, you know, where the deal makes sense and there's a will, there's a way basically, right? I mean, there's. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, honestly, it's really just about, you know, putting a good team around you, you know, making sure that your general contractor, you know, has built this type of product before, you know, that's another major mistake that people come to us. Maybe they're novice. They want to start getting into development and they've never built something before. So they go out and they hire a GC to build, you know, an apartment property for them. But this GC, they've only done built single tenant retail properties. They've only built Walgreens and CVSs. They've never built a multifamily property. So you really need to make sure that you're finding a contractor that has experience in this particular asset class. You know, another positive is if members of your team have worked together before, has your architect worked with your GC before? Who, what property management company are you using? You know, are they experienced in this area and this geography with this asset class? How many properties do they have under management currently? You know, so these are all things that lenders will look at and assess. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like there's, there's a heck of a lot of due diligence that, that you have to do to make sure that a, a loan makes sense for your company. 
Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a ton. I mean, just looking at, you know, the borrower, the property, you know, going through all of the pro formas, all of the numbers, all of the market data, you know, when you're putting a pro forma together, a stabilized pro forma to show to the lender, well, where are you coming up with your expenses? Where are you coming up with your rents? Are your rents justified? Are they justified today? You know, sometimes people will come to us with a value add project, you know, and they'll be projecting rents that haven't yet been achieved, but they think they're going to be achieved at some point because the market keeps going up. Well, that's not good enough, you know, for most lenders. You need to be able to show, is a property getting that today? And you have to be able to support, you know, all of your numbers on the revenue side and the expense side. Awesome. Adam, time flies when we're having fun. That was easy. That was painless, man. I could go on forever. (laughs) Oh, it's a great conversation. We'll we'll probably have to come back and and revisit this because I'm sure a lot of my listeners have a lot of questions for you. But if people want to find out more about you and your company, Adam, what should they do? Sure. They can visit my website at www.towercapllc.com. They can email me directly at adam at towercapllc.com. And they can also reach me by phone. 480-426-0576. 480-426-0576. Excellent. So Adam, obviously you've got a lot of experience financing deals around Phoenix and in the United States. A lot of our listeners are Canadian. Some of them are Canadians doing business in the States. Do you also offer financing for Canadians buying properties in the United States? Yes, actually I do a tremendous amount of business with Canadians. Some of the biggest pools of outside investors actually that invest in Arizona are from California and from Canada. I have many clients from, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, you know, all over. So, you know, typically the same financing is available to Canadians as available to Americans. You know, something that the lenders will often look at is, you know, does the person have any ties to the market in which they're buying a property? Do they own a second home there? Do they own any other assets there currently? If they do, that makes the lenders a lot more comfortable. If they don't, well, you have to start somewhere, but you may not be getting the most aggressive terms after after. You might not be getting the lowest rate. You might not be getting the highest, you know, LTV, but there's still financing available. And, you know, that's part of it is someone just getting their feet wet, buy a deal, buy a small deal, get one under your belt. And, you know, it's a lot easier you know, after you've done one. Makes sense. Adam, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you and I appreciate your insights. Thanks, Dave. You as well. Have a great one. All right, everybody take care. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. Be very, very much appreciated. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.